0: Hey everybody, Uh, welcome to Square Zeros, I'm John Mann. And I'm Derek Hawkins. And today we're here with Marisa Sirio of Big Quiet. Uh, Marisa, why don't you uh, introduce yourself?
1: I'm Marisa Sirio, I'm in a band called Big Quiet. We are a three piece from Williamsburg in Brooklyn. Um, We do mostly kind of like jangle pop, you know something that i kind of lovingly describe often as american jangle rock to kind <laughs> nice. of distinguish itself between um you know the kind of like c86 like like jangly stuff from like like england and scotland although we very much have that in our blood and i'm sure that my bass player chris who is from glasgow would definitely okay. argue that we've got a lot of that sound in s2 but i was kind of raised on the american side of that you know kind of rem pylon kind of stuff so that's always what i feel like i'm kind of going for in the larger sense
2: and you have a very beautiful guitar can you talk (laughs) about that
1: um yeah so i have my dream guitar which is a rickenbacker 330 um i always wanted one and i've had a series of semi-hollow guitars for like years and years and years, and they I've have I have a lot of guitars that I really love, but none of them were it. You know, none of them were a Rickenbacker, and I am like a total crazy Peter Peter Buck maniac. Um, so I just always really admired his sound, and I really loved like the birds, and like you know, I I feel like Rickenbackers kind of defined the sound that I really like and what I'm kind of going for as a songwriter. So. Um, Yeah, I just always wanted one. And there's there's a really famous guitar shop on Staten Island called Mandolin Brothers um, that actually like one time when I went there to go hang out and play the like amazing like $100,000 guitars that they have, literally. Like um, George Harrison was walking out when I was walking in. (laughs) So like that's the kind of caliber (laughs) guitar (laughs) shop this is. But they had this like whole wall of Rickenbackers and I would go and kind of like play on Saturday afternoons. And then I got one for Christmas one year. which is the guitar that I have now it's like the best christmas present i have ever gotten
0: it's funny when you said the rick and you were kind of talking about influences my immediate thought was i was like who's she gonna who's it gonna be (laughs) like like, like, who's gonna be the rick enthusiast you want to know who exactly because you also went, you know you went from like american jangle pop bands like ariam and pylon and i was like you mean like athenian yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about you're getting even more specific so. yeah athenian is right. really kind of i think the <laughs> most specific way i can describe yeah, it wasn't it wasn't surprised to hear buck when you got to the, the, <laughs> yeah. the end of that
1: he is uh, a living god as far as i'm concerned
0: awesome awesome <laughs> well uh well is that something you've always been into i mean we're gonna you know obviously in a moment get into mm-hmm. some sort of older stuff for you yeah. um is that something that you've always sort of carried with you is that something that you know you discovered for yourself when you were a kid, or when you're in high school, or when you're in college?
1: Yeah, um, I think, you know, I was uh, uh, growing up and coming of age in the 90s, and I think it was inescapable, you know, that, that kind of sound. REM, obviously, is really big, and I definitely, you know, heard out of time when I was, like, 11 or 12, and immediately I knew, like, that was what I wanted. But it's it's funny. I think that the thing that influenced me the most as far as that sound went is... um. The show Pete and Pete, like, all of the music from Pete and Pete, like, as a kid, I was like, whatever that is, I want it. Like, that's exactly... <laughs> that <is great. laughs> yeah, it was just, like, the, every single song on it, and, like, the theme song would get me really excited, and I, I just always held that with me. So, um, yeah, that kind of always directed me toward where i wanted to go as far as a sound and rem kind of has carried me through that my entire music writing career or whatever it was
0: definitely a windfall for me too it's funny you mentioned pete and pete like i as a as a devotee of pete and pete (laughs) who has has the complete box set and everything there was something absolutely for me that was like just this feeling of nostalgia that i felt like i even got as a kid when when i wasn't in a position to understand nostalgia totally from that from that guitar tone it's really interesting to hear you describe it that way because it's like Absolutely, my experience with that too. And then, even, you know, when you get to, you know, high school or college and you become aware of a band like the Magnetic Fields and you're like, oh, that's that guy who contributed a a bunch of songs to the Pete and Pete show and stuff like that. Or to find out that people know who, like, actually know what Polaris is and stuff like that is, like, really interesting. Do
1: you know what's really crazy is that I ended up, um, uh, being in a band with one of the guys who was on that show and like who wrote all the music for that show and the red guitar that they play in the beginning sequence, I've recorded with that guitar. What? Yeah, totally. Oh I have played gosh, we're that guitar. Oh my talking to a celeb here. <laughs> Not at all. But yeah, it was kind of like the most mind-blowing experience because I'm just looking at it and like thinking about all of that imagery like constantly. So Uh,
2: what what session was that that you recorded that um, that guitar
1: for the the last band that I was in this band Boy Genius? um, We ended up being in a band with this guy Ray Neal ended up being in our band who was the guitar player from Miracle Legion and Miracle Legion like in a a form was who Polaris was. And, um, you know, like I kind of just like ended up on this whole trajectory of like loving Miracle Legion through that show and then we kind of just met him at a tribute show in Connecticut, and he ended up playing with us. and. That was the kind of the rest is history. <laughs> wow,
2: I gotta say, I gotta I gotta be candid for a second. You're really tapping into like a a gulf in my musical lexicon here. <laughs> this is all great stuff. Like I'm gonna go home tonight and listen to I mean obviously like Pete and Pete's about the extent yeah. Of what I know and of course REM, but uh
3: you, should you know, there, this is a
2: whole world of like really impressive guitar playing and like kind of super wistful, nostalgic yeah. and sweet songs that I'm just like never really like reached into. So Yeah. Thank you. No,
1: sure. <laughs> I don't I don't know how I became such a sap I don't think it's so much my personality <laughs> yeah. but apparently like when it comes to music I'm super sappy when it comes to that
0: and I'm sure as an aside too that you're aware that uh that Danny Tamburelli like has a band yeah out oh of, yeah, yeah out of... Steve
1: went our drummer Steve uh Perry went to school with Danny Tambrelli. that's right he went yeah. to he
0: went to Hampshire that's right yeah
1: he mentioned it one day and like totally blew my mind yeah
0: paper paperfully played with him at a yeah. uh, at a some uh is a CMJ showcase maybe mm-hmm. a cake shop or something like that you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the kids at home could not believe it. it was like, yeah, dude, <laughs> little people right now.
1: Taking pictures with your cell phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: He's real good natured about it, too. If you go up to him and you're just like, dude, you know, he's I like, know. he's not one of those guys who's like, that's, I don't want to be remembered for that. Yeah. Like, if you go up to him, he's like, awesome. he's, he's like, absolutely. No, I get it. <laughs> you know, he was, like, that, that, I was really pleased that I was on that show and I got to meet all those great musicians. So you have a pre Rickenbacker.
1: I do.
2: Era band. I do. To play for us. Yeah. Tell us about it.
1: Um, This is a band, Murray. It was an all-girl band that I was in um, in Staten Island, which is where I was born and raised. And, um, we were just kind of like a a crew of girls who like you know i used to play with the drummer at one point in another band and we kind of knew the other girls shannon and marissa from kind of around the staten island scene which you know was kind of vibrant at the time and um you know i think we always all wanted to play together and then circumstances kind of like aligned in a way that let us do that and um I think that we kind of played off each other in interesting ways, um, especially since, you know, there were kind of different levels of like experience in the band, which I think led to a lot of, a lot of interesting kind of, um, you know, solutions to songwriting, mm-hmm. where like, you know, maybe if somebody like, you know, wasn't some kind of like virtuoso, like they would do something that was a little odd, which ended up sounding cool, so.
2: Sweet, so lay a track on us.
1: Yeah, cool.
2: Uh, talk, what's What's this first song we're about to hear?
1: This song is a song called Lady Leandria, Um, and it was a song that I wrote, and I think that, like, it's actually kind of a good example of how I've been doing the kind of thing that I'm I'm doing now um, for a long time. (laughs) Not to say that, like, I've not progressed at all, but, um, you know, this is, like, I think I've always been trying to attain this particular sound and, like this is like kind of an example of me doing it when I was like 20 instead of you know what I'm doing now and like I think that there are a lot of similarities and like some differences but I think that this was kind of a good example of like like how it's not that I haven't grown as a songwriter but I think that like I've had like a really strong sense of this style for a really long time.
0: Lady Leandria by Murray. Um, so, uh, so we, we had a little crosstalk while you guys were listening to that track, um, and you said it's a bit of a weird story. Uh, do you want to? Is it is it is it is it a weird and hidden story, or is it a weird and arable story?
1: Um, it's it's kind of hidden. I mean. Okay, so essentially I was in this this uh, this terrible n- night class at CSI, the College of Staten Island kind of in between college and um, I was in this creative writing class and the 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 whole point of the class was to kind of just like just write anything and and everyone is gonna kind of critique it in the class. so um, you know you had your kind of like bargain variety of like people who were, like, total nut jobs who were writing, like, really kind of scary lynchian stuff and, like, really stupid stuff. And this one guy wrote, like, full-on softcore porn, and it was called <laughs> Lady Landria. And, <laughs> and the thing about this class was that, like, once you wrote your stories, you had to make a, a copy for everyone in the class. So I went to a party with my band and um, I happened to have all of these stories in my bag and we read Lady Leandria out loud. And like the only thing I really remember about it is like this one line that's like, Lady Leandria looked in the mirror at her soft pink self. And like we've (laughs) never, it's just like burned into my brain forever. So we were just dying laughing so much at this party that we're like, we have to name a song Lady Leandria. So
2: to the author of Lady Leandria, (laughs) if you want to come on Square Zeros, if you happen upon this, uh, come on in. We'd love to talk to you about your early work.
1: <laughs> I really highly doubt that he's in the creative field.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. You know, it's funny. Like it, it sounds like Pete and Pete music. That's like really I think annoying. you nailed the style. <laughs> but you know what's funny, and it's it seems well recorded. What was your recording process like?
1: Um, that it's it's really kind of funny that you think it seems well recorded because we like that was done in a friend of ours. Like he kind of like had a a garage that he lived in, in his parents' backyard in Staten Island. And I think we paid him like $200 or something to kind Mm -hmm. of crudely record all the tracks for us. And, um, I actually had a friend at the time who worked, um, she was just interning at this studio upstate called, uh, the clubhouse. And, um, which like some, they've done some kind of bigger records. I feel like these kind of upstate, like, you know, like Natalie Merchant records, kind of stuff like that. But, Mm -hmm. um, Uh, Like, adult contemporary stuff. But, um, yeah, she was just interning, so she let us bring the tracks up to mix them up there. Um, And, like... They kind of did a, like, miracle. They worked some magic on they it. They totally yeah, okay. worked some magic on okay. it because they were in pretty horrid shape before mm-hmm. we got up there. That's no. why they sound okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I noticed the bass
2: was coming through really nicely. Like, the guitar seems just pretty well handled. It
1: was definitely mixed through, like, a Neve. <laughs> you know what's
2: funny, too, is I... Uh, it it sounds... it It sounds like it pays homage really well to where you were drawing from. It also... There's something kind of dated about it. If yeah it's nice, like I don't know, I feel like I like we, we got a little time time trip there for a second. That's a big compliment. And can you give us a time frame too? Uh like when it was recorded?
1: Yeah. Um I think that that was probably somewhere around maybe 2002, 2003. Okay. Yeah, I was like 22 or 23 when we did it.
2: So it actually it actually is dated. Like you It, <laughs> it is dated. It seems, it's, it's not just dated, it's authentic.
1: And I also like go for something that's an older style. So it's probably always kind of dated. <laughs>
2: um so what else you have a a couple more i do tell us give us another track and um, it sounds like these all have like really cool backstories or maybe that's just what i think
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) I, i hope so um i think i'm gonna play this song called hours uh which is a song that marissa wrote and she sings on it um and i i think it's a good example of the kind of like more dissonant like kind of uh you know more aggressive stuff that she does um like paired with the kind of like arpeggiated jangly stuff that I do. that was a little meaner (laughs) yeah it's a little meaner for sure you know marissa wrote kind of dark songs like i said her style was more dissonant um her kind of lyrical content tended to be like a little bit like more scathing i think i mean i definitely wrote scathing songs too i think like lady leandra is about like a a girl that i don't like you know and um or i didn't like at the time when i was 22 (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah i think like I think a lot of the times Marissa kind of wrote these like dark love songs and you know maybe they were about a relationship that was working or maybe they were about a relationship that wasn't working and um, you know I think that like that kind of came out in like the aggressiveness with which she like wrote and sang and you know the kind of I think like there is we, we we used to get, always get called like witchy, which I don't witchy. even know if that was like if that was some kind of like, you know, like anti-feminist kind of thing or like a way to contain four girls in a band or it's not what
2: I would. Yeah, not, not the first adjective I'd go for. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, like, I think that, um you know, we kind of we could be a little intense on stage. So some people kind of like some people liked like the intensity of like the kind of darker stuff and some people it was it was kind of like a band that like a, a lot of different people like for a lot of different reasons so um yeah I think that um she kind of always encapsulated that kind of vibe and like mm-hmm. her stuff is definitely darker than mine has ever been.
0: Also like like witchy, it's like you couldn't have said enchanting. Yeah, you know, know exactly. <laughs> You couldn't could have found some like, you know less like, you know, something with a more positive connotation that kind of means the same or, thing. They might yeah. as well
1: have just called us bitchy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, I mean, right. if you're gonna just, if you're gonna dance around you're
0: it. you like, what, what, was it the cover of Edge of Seventeen? It was the cover of Edge of Seventeen, wasn't it? <laughs> that's that's who did it. Okay, it was, the, it, was the, it was the Stevie Nicks gar that's it, that's it. <laughs> perhaps that's that something to do with it so I was, I was curious uh so you said you know you two were the sort of primary songwriters mm-hmm. and you have now moved on to big quiet mm-hmm. um do you do you still i'm always interested do you still keep mm-hmm. up with people in the band or uh, you know did she move on to other things as well
1: yeah you know um she ended up doing a couple of different projects afterward um i think like she did actually a really interesting uh she had an interesting project I think pretty directly after Murray broke up that was um, this band Vessels that had like an interesting kind of cast of characters. There was a cello player and a violin player and an accordion player and it was kind of a lot um, I would say like like it still kind of had the same kind of dark vibe to it but like there were a lot like kind of more on the pretty side and like on the slower side and definitely didn't like really rock. I don't think that that was ever the intention Um, And then I think she's been in kind of like a couple of other bands that like are more her style. And then I think most recently she's in a band with um, a longtime songwriting partner, uh, this band called Emerald Lakes that I think she's been in for quite a while now. But I, I think like she kind of wholly does what she has always done and did with Murray and. I kind of branched off and did exactly what I've always done too. (laughs) I think her and I like really kind of continued in the directions and the trajectories that we always kind of wanted to. And you know, that I think,
2: and I think it's fascinating, this creative tension that was in the band that like, it sounds like a a lot of the songs were negotiations and that you guys like had to work hard. You guys had to think about your own parts to match each other's and for the most part, like I, I think that's a, a positive force in a band. I, totally. I mean I just real quickly to say for my part, like John and I have some creative tension that's always worked well for us and yeah. it always gets us thinking on a different level than we usually would. And it sounds like you guys got some great stuff out of that, too.
1: Yeah, I think that tension is actually a really great driving force for songwriting. Um, And again, like I was saying before, I think that it really does produce a more interesting sound overall when, like, people are coming from really different places, then you kind of, you have to acclimate to whatever the other person is doing or the other songwriter or the rest of your band or whoever. Um, So you end up somewhere, you know, like, I think I've been comfortable for a long time as a songwriter ending up kind of far from where I started, you know, I think I used to have these kind of delusions when I was younger that I was going to write a song and it was going to sound exactly the way that I had, like, pictured it in my head. Um, and then I think that this band was uh, a situation that really taught me that that's a really positive thing, that, like, you can end up somewhere really far from where you expected, but, like, ultimately it does challenge you in a way that makes you a better songwriter, it makes the songs better, I think it makes for more interesting music. So I think that push and pull is really kind
2: of important. well you have one more for us right
1: yeah i do um yeah i think uh bust out is the next one that i want to play
2: bust out yeah let's just hit it yeah Bust Out. Bust Out. Bust Out. Not Rick James. Bust Out. Bust Out. Bust Out was cool. And let me reiterate, just to clarify, when I say it sounds dated, I mean like it actually sounds like it belongs Mm -hmm. in the mid-90s or something. And it's even even funnier that it was recorded in the early 2000s. And I just don't, as much as people are reaching back into the 90s now, they're not reaching back for that. Mm -hmm. So it sounds unique to me.
1: That's a huge compliment. (laughs) (laughs) I think that like that i was so strongly imprinted with that sound as a, like a young person that it's never it's, uh, it's never left me so that's that's kind of why i want to play some of these songs to kind of like you know reiterate the fact that like i've always been kind of striving <laughs> toward this kind of thing and like and i've played in different kinds of bands but i always wanted like like i that i was always going for that sound it's it's my ideal sound <laughs>
0: yeah well yeah. i think you nailed it thanks <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> So, uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, Big Quiet is doing now. I mean, what are you guys... Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh... you're still
2: kind of nailing it. <laughs> <Yeah. Not laughs> Thank you again. <laughs> <still nailing
1: it. laughs> um, you know, we are actually a-, a long time coming. We are gearing up to record a record now. So, um, you know, I think I'm, like, a little bit of a-, a perfectionist when it comes to pop songs. And I feel like I have been trying really hard to kind of, like, give us as many opportunities as possible to kind of get... The songs together for like just a ten song record. So I've been writing. We've been writing for like almost two well, uh, two years now. Um. So yeah, it is a long time coming. But um, yeah, I think we're gonna get into the studio in May and hopefully have something out maybe by the
2: fall. Uh, you guys have a show coming up this we month? We do.
1: Yeah, we are playing at Matchless on March twenty eighth. Um, we're actually playing with another Staten Island band. Uh, this band, snowmans of Love, are really cool. This guy Matt Wilson is like a crazy genius songwriter um and we are playing with a couple other bands that are all going to be really awesome um so i think it's going to be a super fun show i think everyone should come out to see us <laughs> awesome and it's part Large of this 28th um, at matchless yeah it's part of this heart's Blade radio um you know showcase uh residency at matchless that steve perrier a drummer runs so it's really like a very well curated series um and i think that you know, you can kind of go to any of these shows and have like a really awesome experience seeing a bunch of different kinds of bands. But this is the one we're playing.
2: And for, yeah, for everybody who doesn't know or hasn't heard, uh, Heartsbleed Radio is a local blog and booking agent that's run by Steve Perry, a drummer for mm-hmm. Big Quiet, yeah. guitarist and singer for The Plains. We interviewed him back in one of our first second episode mm-hmm. uh, back in January. Uh, Great guy. He's a friend uh, of ours, and uh, he does a lot of stuff for the local scene. So check them out. Um, You want to take us out on a Big Quiet song?
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful.
2: Cool. Um, What do you think?
1: I think we should listen to Why Do We Bother, which is an ode to Staten Island.
2: Nice. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, guys.